Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Back of the Grid. My name is Chris, and I'm joined, as always, by Tom. Hello. And by Stu. Hello. Uh, 2020 is, I mean, it's a wild year in the wider scheme of things, but this F1 season is having (laughs) everything possible and then things we couldn't even have imagined possible at this point. Like, even though this was probably one of the weaker races we've had, it was still absolutely wild and unlike anything I've ever seen before. Yeah. Have you have you ever experienced like that feeling of like your world being flipped upside down? Because <laughs> that's honestly like that's what it felt like when I was like watching it happen at the end there. My brain, we were, I was stood up in the office and we were watching Bottas and then the commentary got it. I'm getting too far into it already, but, but, good, <laughs> but goodness, like, oh my goodness, it was mental, absolutely mental. Whether you intended it or not, you also had a two-layered Hamilton pun in there, Stu. But that's a oh, very, very, very niche thing for a very small overlap of audience, so we won't go into it. Okay, okay. <laughs> I, I mustn't. I mustn't be in that overlap, or I'm too tired to have noticed. So I'll have to listen back for that one. Let's start before the race weekend uh, with Sergio Perez, who, as I'm sure you all know, got ruled out of the race weekend. Uh, he had an inconclusive COVID test on Wednesday, followed by a positive test on Thursday. Although it now seems that what the FIA called an inconclusive test, the NHS would have called a very much conclusive test. So <laughs> why the FIA have a different standard for it, the NHS, I don't know, but there we go. Um, luckily, it seems like so far he's um, asymptomatic. Um, he's He has the virus, but he doesn't seem to be suffering for anything so far. So touch wood, he will... Uh, be okay and recover soon which we obviously we all hope is the case um it does i guess prove that the measures f1 have put in place for all this work like they identified it uh pretty quickly the bubble system means that he'd only really been in contact with a small number of people at the team who had to uh quarantine themselves for a few days until they could get negative tests back uh, and it's you know it, it was probably always going to be the case that someone within F1 was probably going to catch it at some point. The fact that it's a driver is a little more dramatic, I suppose. But the system has worked, I guess, hasn't it? Like it's not been spread around the pack. I think it's been uh, contained very well. It seems. Yeah, well, if it's managed to stay contained to just Perez and nobody in the immediate like vicinity of him in terms of his garage crew and stuff like that it would indicate that the measures that teams generally have on a on a weekend yeah are in place it would make you question what Perez has done in his downtime to to jeopardize that but well this is the thing isn't it it? it? he He kissed a pangolin (laughs) (laughs) it i guess it also proves that all these journeys that drivers are making necessarily or unnecessarily are incredibly risky doesn't it um yeah i mean i've seen two versions of the perez story one has him flying to mexico and you know let's not forget mexico is what like third in the world for infection rate right now i think they have it really bad there Um, the the original version of the story has him flying there to visit his mother that's uh, recovering from an injury the second version has him also going out with friends and i think like meeting fans and stuff and there being photos of this on his wife's Instagram that were hastily deleted. How true that second part is, I don't know. And obviously, if it was just the first part, then no one's going to begrudge him flying to see his mother who's in hospital, I think, or is at home recovering. But mm. if that second part is true as well, then I 
think that's a very silly thing to be doing for someone who is uh, in the position he's in with his seat for next year as well, I think. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess you, in a way you can kind of understand because if if the second is true, also given his situation, he probably needed a bit of time to get away from the paddock and Maybe, unwind yeah. a little bit given, you know, all the, all the talk about where his seat's going to, whether he's even going to have a seat next season. So he probably wanted to get away from it. I think, you know, going to the third most infectious country for COVID in the world, was it the wisest thing to do? Maybe not, but, uh, you know, it's hard. When you don't have all the information, it's hard. For all we know, it could have been. And you don't know what information he had about about his family member either, so it could be. No. The team say they were happy with the arrangements he made. Like it's not like he was on commercial flights or anything like that. He was on private planes flying into small airports and stuff like that. But absolute baller. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> These Formula One drivers, eh? There is a little bit of confusion over whether he's in a seven or ten day quarantine. Obviously, ten days would completely rule him out for the next race. If he's seven, he'd still have to uh, get a negative result in a test on Wednesday, which seems very unlikely i would say even if he's not displaying symptoms the odds of him suddenly not having it less than seven days later seems unlikely Mm. which means there's a good chance we're going to get a second appearance from hulkenberg who uh had next to no notice to uh replace him he's apparently got the phone call while he was sat in a cafe in monaco at 3 p.m on thursday and he was in the car ready for FP1 by 11am on Friday, which is a hell of a turnaround. Goodness. He must have legged it home to pack all his stuff. Yeah, he pretty much ran home, packed, got on a plane. I think he was like at Silverstone by 9, 10pm or something like that. And he spent the night in the factory getting a seat fitting and jumping in the simulator to learn everything. Um, you, was he tested? He must have been tested for COVID as well. Yeah, that, so that was the last holdup. Apparently, it was kind of because they only they basically announced that he was going to be the replacement about ten minutes before FP one started, and yeah. basically they were all just sat there waiting for his test result to come back. And the second it said negative, then he could sprint down and get in the garage and get ready, sort of thing. <laughs> and I think he did a pretty damn impressive job. Uh, he was half a second off stroll in FP1, uh, seven tenths in FP2, three tenths in FP3. And then by qualifying, he got knocked out in Q2, but he was only six hundredths behind his teammate, which unfortunately was the difference between going through and not going through. Um, in fact, in that Q2, Stroll and Gasly put in identical times in 10th and 11th, and Stroll only went through on the basis that he said that time first, which shows how damn close that was. But yeah, obviously Hulkberg didn't actually make the race because uh, his engine wouldn't fire up. It turned out that it was a a bolt in the clutch housing had sheared off and it had fallen into a place where it was jamming something in the engine to stop it uh, turning over, which is like for all that, for one bolt to just end the weekend is uh, such a... That's insane. It's crazy, that, yeah. isn't it? I think Sergio's had someone go down there and just throw, yeah, I know, right? a, throw a cheeky little shim in there to stop it. <laughs> And Hulkenberg put a brave face on it. Like he said, given how crazy everything else that weekend had been for him to then not make the start of the race just kind of fits in with the craziness of it all. But yeah, I it's thought his he, look, isn't it? It as really well. is, yeah. just, just Hulk's look. He really does. I, I was, I was still very impressed with him though, considering he's 
not been in these cars. He's jumping into a team he's not been with for many, many years now. Um, yeah, I was I was impressed with him. I think he kind of, although he didn't make the race, it sort of proved what a lot of people say, which is that he didn't really deserve to be dumped out of F1 at the point he did, I don't think. Yeah. I, I hope that he gets a, an opportunity at a full weekend this weekend, just because it's like, looking like he should, but I just... Maybe not him not actually making the race could be a blessing in disguise to a degree because I think he was starting to really feel it physically by yeah. Sunday morning. So that little bit of a break and then getting back into practice sessions later this week might just give him a little the little bit of rest he needs to actually be able to have a good go of it this coming Sunday. Fingers crossed. Hopefully, yeah. Um, yeah. Obviously, we wish Sergio the best and hope he's well very soon, but... I think a lot of people would like to see Hulkenberg get a proper shot at the weekend. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Podium maybe even, if uh, Racing Point can sort themselves out. Well, yeah, yeah. potentially. I mean, that, that was the joke, wasn't it, all weekend, was that he's gone from looking like his career's over, having never got a podium, to suddenly out of the blue with a day's notice find himself in a podium potential car, which <laughs> is... yeah. It's peak 2020, isn't it, really? Yeah, you do wonder how well he would have done in the race compared to Stroll. Very yeah. much so, yeah. Um, we'll get on to Stroll's weekend a little later on, but I, it's a shame we didn't really get to see how their performances panned out, um, given how it went. Uh, let's let's move on to the race, I guess. And I think we, let's just start with the end. Let's just do the last three laps first, because... I mean, let's face it, not much happened for a lot of the race leading up to those last three laps. That's yeah. where the bulk of the excitement was. Um, so let's let's start at the end. So Valtteri was complaining about vibrations and stuff for quite a while leading up to um, his tyre failure. In fact, at one point he said he basically couldn't see at the end of the straights because it was vibrating that much. Um, his front left failed with about three laps to go, and it was just about the worst place he could fail as well, wasn't it? Like, yeah just into the final corner. Uh, obviously, he managed to crawl around to the pits, uh, but he ended up finishing outside the points in 11th. Following lap, Sainz had exactly the same failure, dropping him from 5th to 13th. Then final lap, Hamilton became the third driver to have what looked like exactly the same front-left failure. This time, he was about halfway around the lap, and he managed to crawl home. He won by 5.8 seconds in the end with uh, Verstappen chasing him down. Uh, to finish second and Leclerc after all of that picking up a very unexpected third place I mean to start with just the fact that Hamilton managed to drag that thing over the line to win is very very impressive yeah he was very lucky have you heard the team radio from that last lap as well I haven't only heard it I've heard it in great detail Chris I can tell you it is insane how calm it all is well, yeah. the, the only thing Hamilton says the entire last lap is, I think I've got the same problem or my front left has got the same issue or something along those lines. And yeah. then Bono just spends the rest of the lap saying, okay, let's just bring it home. This is the gap to Verstappen and just like very calmly, casually updates him on the gap. It was only, the only real panic was when it got to the end and Hamilton hadn't seen the flag and he thought he might have had another, have another lap to do. But yeah. I, I looked back through the onboard and... The flag didn't fly. The flag didn't go for Uh-oh. it. So there was nothing on the board and there was nothing, There was no one waving a flag that I could see. To so be it, fair, Hamilton was right to point that out. To be fair, at that point, I think everybody, even loosely connected to Formula One, was just staring at their screens in disbelief. Yeah, so you probably forgive them for getting to press the flag button. Yeah, you can. 
the point, actually. Um, is there? Are they still having a physical checkered flag at the moment with all of no, the? No, no. It's a. It's um, just the screen. boards, isn't it? Yeah, I thought it might be. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, 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 and I, I did detect a hint of panic in um, Engineer's voice when he got down to like seven seconds. Mm. It was like, seven seconds? Like that. And then, like, not long after that, Hamilton crossed the line and it was all like bells and whistles, cheering kind of thing. But it, it, it did start to get a teeny bit tense just towards the end of the lap. But, yeah. you know, if that had happened 10 seconds, less than 10 seconds sooner, if that happened, well, I guess seven seconds sooner, then it would have been you know right on the line not that it wasn't already a really exciting finish but oh yeah totally would have been been slightly more exciting if it (laughs) yeah seven seconds sooner yeah um so speaking of verstappen where right after bottas's failure red bull brought him in for fresh tires to go for the fastest lap and they've also said to potentially protect him against a similar failure uh, Christian Horner said the tire that came off his front left had about 50 small cuts in the surface of the tire there's no doubt that if he had stayed out and if his tyre had survived to the end, that Verstappen would have won that race. Red Bull and Verstappen, in fact, this is probably the only time I've seen Verstappen say, I'm happy with second place, which is not very on brand for him. They've kind of put a glass half full face on the whole thing. Did they make the right choice bringing him in? Yeah. I think if they are aware that there is a risk to their own tyre, and they have seen what happened to Valtteri and what was like heading Lewis's way. Yes, they made the right choice. Hindsight's a wonderful thing, and you can say, yeah, but if they'd have not done it, they'd have won. That's that's a wonderful thing. But there yeah. in that moment, at that time, they had to protect the second place that they were already not expecting to get and try and maybe steal that point for the fastest lap, which is what they went for. They were going for 20 points plus a bonus point. They, they yeah. didn't see 25 as a feasible yeah. option. And I think in that moment, it probably wasn't 100%. Um, but as well, I think the reason they were so cautious is, do you remember a few years ago when this was this happened to the Ferraris? Yeah. We lost both, did we lose both Ferraris? Yeah, they both had this, it was yeah. very similar. One team had yeah. two identical failures in the space of a couple of laps. So like, I think Red Bull in particular were, were looking at that scenario of, it could happen to anyone. It also happened to science, didn't it, during the, those closing laps? So yeah, it wasn't even it wasn't like it was exclusive to the Mercedes. It True, was, it was happening to other teams on the grid as well. So I think, yeah, hindsight is a wonderful thing. Yes, if they'd have stayed out, they'd have possibly won the race. But in the moment, they were probably absolutely right to do what they did. Mm. This is the second time that Bottas has had a tile failure, and it's cost him let's face it, a championship, isn't it? <laughs> it is, yeah. I, do you know what? I was trying to place when it happened last because I, I was having like deja vu flashbacks of Bottas losing a race because of a tyre failure. And for some reason in my head, I thought it was Silverstone. Then I realised I was thinking of the Ferraris at Silverstone. And I was trying to work out where it happened to Bottas before. It was ba- Baku. Yeah. Yes, Baku, thank you. Baku a couple of That's years what ago. I was getting flashbacks of, the Baku incident. Yeah. Um, yeah. to go back to Verstappen for a second I I'm semi playing devil's advocate here but I find myself disagreeing with that oh, pit stop Chris you would oh, what have you got a crystal ball have you, you can a crystal ball this is the thing <laughs> I, I said this the moment 
Verstappen pitted. Not because what happened, like hindsight aside, what happened to Hamilton aside, Red Bull are not racing for a championship this year. They're going to come second. It's almost guaranteed. uh, Verstappen's going to come third in the championship. Red Bull are going to come second in the constructors. That's near enough guaranteed right now. Okay. If I were Red Bull and I saw that happen to Bottas, my first thought was Verstappen now needs to hound Hamilton as hard as he possibly can. Do not give Hamilton a chance to back off and save his tires at all. Yes, maybe in the process we'll blow up our own tire and bin it, but in the grand scheme of things, if I was Red Bull, I would much rather take a chance at a win over a safe second and the fastest lap. You know what? I think you might be right. I think you've convinced me. (laughs) Do you know what I think would make that logic more um, in place for Red Bull this weekend would have been if Albon had been with Verstappen. If they'd have had two cars up there, then I think they would have maybe had told Max to, to try and force the issue with Lewis. But because... Album was in the process of trying to fight his way back into the points at the time after putting on those fresh tires. I think that influenced their decision of we've got to be careful here because they had Leclerc. Basically, what they had is Leclerc right behind Verstappen, ready to capitalize if anything did go mm. wrong for Max. And you'd got Albon at the at the time trying to overtake Vettel to get in the points to leapfrog them because he was out of points, it, wasn't he? At that point, exactly. And they're, they're essentially looking in their rearview mirrors, both literally and in championship standings at Ferrari to make sure Ferrari don't close that gap. And I think had Albon been comfortably in the points, either just behind Leclerc or even, you know, sandwiched between Max and, and Charles, something like that, then we might have seen a different decision from Red Bull. That is a very mm-hmm. good point, yeah. Because, yeah, at, at that point in time, a Verstappen fairly would have meant zero points for them, wouldn't it? Correct, Cause... yeah. And I, th- I think that's the reason for the conservative kind of attitude around it. Yeah, no, that makes a lot I mean, of sense. Well, hold on a minute. I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily call pitting for soft tires to set the fastest lap a conservative at- attitude when you're running second and you got good points. Okay, more conservative than pushing Hamilton. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because let's you know, let's remember, anything can go wrong in a pit stop. Yeah, it's um, true. But I guess if, when it's a free pit stop and you're getting rid of some ropey tires, it's and I think yeah, that's the logic gonna... for Mercedes, isn't it? What you're saying there, Stu, is a lot of people question why after Bottas did Merck not pit Lewis to avoid the risk? Well, I mean, they and didn't need it... to, did they? Because he still won, so that didn't make a difference. But again, that's hindsight, isn't it? Like yeah. that that could have all all it took is that tire failure to happen like three corners earlier, and Max would have beaten him. It's all it's all ifs and buts and maybe yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think, but I think the, you know... Mercedes could have been more conservative and said, right, Max is pitting, we can pit as well. But what they want to avoid is they want to avoid the risk of, to, to them, the risk of staying out was less than the risk of something going wrong in a pit stop, which exactly. is the, the point that you were making before about keeping Max out and not risking the stop. So yeah, I, I, there's like there's obviously logic to both sides and you can see the pros and cons of both sides. Yeah, it's a really I don't ever, ever be a strategist, ever. It's a really interesting conundrum, isn't it? Yeah. Because there's so many. It just shows you how many ramifications to making sort of pit stops and changing 
things about the cars in the race, no matter what your lead is, how how much it can have a huge effect on your race. Like, or, really or on the other hand, or not doing that. In this case, it almost cost Hamilton and Mercedes the mm. win. But, you know, very luckily for them, that, you know, the tyres stayed more or less in one piece all the way around the track as well, let's not forget. It didn't start disintegrating and taking yeah. his front wing off. And he was still pushing all the way around with that um, with that damaged tyre. You know, he wasn't going slow because he didn't want to, he wanted to win the race still. So yeah. they got really, 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 really lucky on so, so many levels. Yeah, they really, really did. You need a bit of luck on your side to win a Formula One World Championship sometimes and Hamilton's got it in spades, hasn't yeah. he? Like absolutely loads of the stuff. And I mean, we've just sat here for 10 minutes discussing this with a day's hindsight. Like they were having to yeah. make these decisions in an instant. So yeah. it's yeah, it's very very impressive that they still managed to do that. I, I will I will say that my attitude towards it is always would have I wouldn't have I don't think I I don't think I would have pitted him for the fastest lap even I would have just left him out anyway just because I yeah. wouldn't want to risk. If yeah. You, if you if you run the risk of trying to go for fastest lap, then you're putting the car in a position where you might drop it going for that fastest lap and and end your race. That is a very, very risky thing that they did, I think, in the first place. Never mind sort of, you know, risking not getting the win if mm. anything was to happen to Hamilton. Mm. It's more, you know, you're risking the car, you're risking, you've only got a week's turnaround, so you've got to get a load of new bits for the car on the car well, in, in the space of a week if you do damage it, have you been it? It, it, like the other point as well is there's a reason that teams, like, this has all come about because of a team wanting to like enforce a one-stop strategy, right? There's mm. a reason that teams try and find the best, the fastest time around a, a race with minimal stops because yeah. every stop, it, it, even if it was quicker to like run the softest tire for the majority of the time but and stop two or three times, teams would more likely favour the... the um, the strategy that has lesser stops, even if it was marginally slower, because there's far less element of risk mm, for, yeah. for error. It's a balancing act. Balancing act exactly. So, like like you say, I'm, I'm with you, Stu, that generally speaking, you you don't you want to risk as few pit stops as possible for the sake mm. of a point in a championship where you're more than likely going to finish second and Max is more than likely going to finish second or third to the Mercedes drivers is... Is it worth the risk for a single point? Like, will that where will where will that single point do them any justice at the yeah. end of the season? It'd be interesting yeah. to see, but I don't well, think the it, interesting it'd, it'd thing be... now is is that it actually could make a difference at the end of the season because if Bottas Bottas just lost yeah. twenty five points, yeah, true. He ended the race out of the points, and we should we should actually take a moment silence for uh, <laughs> Bottas's season. I think at this opportunity because yeah, I'd, well, I was yeah, going to say. This time last week, we were saying that if Bottas comes second at both the Silverstone races to Hamilton, he'd be 19 points behind. And we were saying how big a hill for him to overcome that would be. He's now 30 points behind, and we've only had one of the two Silverstone races. Like, it kind of almost feels like championship over, doesn't it? For for Hamilton to survive this scare and still win, (laughs) Bottas isn't going to get another chance like that. No. I, I, I honestly, think. I can't, I, I still can't believe he finished the race <laughs> and won the race. I really can't. It's absolutely incredible. Um, it, it gives us another visit to uh, Hamilton's records corner. Uh, this Ooh. is his 
seventh win at Silverstone, which gives him the most wins by any driver at their home race, one more than Alan Prost uh, managed. It's also the 20th race that he has led from start to finish, which beats uh, Senna's record. Two more in the books for him. Yeah. It's getting crowded, this corner, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's not. It's just Hamilton on his own. It's the opposite. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just surrounded by Kicking drivers out week on week. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, uh, seeing tyres fail is not great. Um, Silverstone's always been a bit of a tyre killer. We mentioned earlier, like the thing we have with Ferrari a few years ago. It does look a lot like Debris played a big part in this from uh, Kimmy's wing deciding to disintegrate um, about four or five laps from the end. Mm. It, it kind of feels like this was a combination of factors, though, doesn't it? Like the track really punishing those tyres. And then that makes them more susceptible to debris if debris happens to be there. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure Pirelli will be doing a really, really big post mortem yeah. on all those tires to figure out, you know, what exactly it was that set them all off. It, I mean, it absolutely could be that they've all just hit the same sort of little bit of debris. Yeah, and it's, it's possible. not been caught because that carbon fiber, when that snaps off, it is razor sharp. It's like, you know, it's like pins and needles on the ground like the stuff mm. it's like it's really really it's really rigid and it's really hard to break and it's like little shards of glass everywhere it's like riding over glass riding over mm. that stuff so you know it only takes a small amount of of that to be on the track and if it's if it's on a corner where the tire's really loaded which it sounds like it probably was then that's going to slice right through the tire and that's what's going to cause damage especially if a really hot tire as well which at that yeah. point of the race they probably are yeah there's there's some talk about whether they should abandon the plans to go for softer tires um no. in this coming race pirelli themselves said they don't think that would make a massive difference from what they know so far if it, i mean it basically guarantees a two or three stop race next weekend if they yeah. do go ahead with that but that's the point of going for the softer compound in the first place anyway isn't it is to add that exactly that to yeah. the mixer so, um, yeah. and plus like okay with these tire failures this weekend just gone the tires were within the life that Pirelli said they should be able to do but ultimately if you are doing a one-stop race and they did pit a bit earlier than planned as well because of the safety cars you are taking a risk when you do a stint that long that the tires are gonna survive I mean I've some seen some suggestions that Bottas came off worse because he maybe didn't um, look after his tyres quite as well as Hamilton did, but I mean, it was a lap and a half difference, wasn't it? Like, mm. I don't think. I, th- I think luck plays a much bigger factor in what happened than uh, yeah. time management. Yeah, I th- it makes you wonder. Like the fact that it affected other teams probably rules this out a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Make, it makes you wonder as well, like how much of an impact the DAS system has on what was happening. But the mm. fact that it did happen to to science probably makes me yeah I, less no, dubious yeah. about that. Yeah, I don't think it's much to do with that. If, if anything, Daz is preserving tires rather than um, yeah taking. Well, that's the idea, them. isn't it? Yeah. They they're doing that behind the safety car, for example, to to try and preserve that tire yeah. life. Yeah, I think like one thing to consider is that when one person's tire goes, quite often it'll happen it can happen again to other tires because if it if it, it usually happens at a critical point a tire critical point of the race yeah and a tire going will usually lead to more debris on track exactly yeah. yeah then 
the next person's tire goes, then that leads to even more debris on track. And it's just a spiral. It just Mm -hmm. gets more and more and more and more. And so, you know, if, if you, if everyone carried on and everyone's tires kept going, given a situation, if you carried on for four or five more laps, you'd probably see four or five more failures. It's only (laughs) because it happened at the end of the race that we didn't. So I think Pirelli got a little bit lucky. Not a, not a good not a good advert for Pirelli, but I, I certainly wouldn't be blaming Pirelli. Shall we talk about the rest of the race? We've we've covered three laps so far. Yeah, but they were they were the three best laps of the race. They were the, the rest three of best it laps. It's kind of just much, you know. Do we need to? Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll go right back to the start, end of the very first lap. We had Albon and Magnussen coming together, which led to Magnussen's retirement on the final corner. Oh yeah. Uh, the stewards gave Albon a five second penalty for that. What were your feelings on that incident? Um, we saw Magnussen take the curb a bit too hard on the penultimate corner, which sort of put him out of shape for the final corner. And Albon sort of had, it seemed to have a go up the inside and then try to back out of it, didn't he? Yeah, he said himself that he saw Magnussen run wide in the in the first part, in the first phase, thought here's a chance, then saw the way Magnussen was rejoining and was like, then realised ah that's not a gap I thought it was uh, but it was already too late at that point it said like the closing speed was already there was too much in it yeah um, which is understandable um it's not quite taking responsibility for it but it kind of say it he wasn't trying to say that's Magnuson's fault I, I'm not to blame here um I think this comes I said this to you at the, at the time Chris when me and you were having a little bit of a discussion about it but I think given the outcome of the incident is what has helped dictate the penalty. So when we came back to the Lewis versus Albon thing in Austria, I was saying, I think the reason for the penalty was more the fact of the outcome to Albon. He wasn't yeah. able to continue in the position he was in. And and then obviously in other incidents where people have been able to continue, the penalty is either not come or it's gone down as a racing incident because both cars have got through the incident and continued as was. And this is a situation where Magnussen's not been able to do that. Therefore, a penalty is being applied because it would have been a 50-50 incident had both cars come out of it okay. But as soon mm-hmm. as one car comes out of it and the other doesn't, it's not quite a 50-50 incident anymore, even if the blame's fairly evenly apportioned, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. Um I, th- I think that I feel like that's the logic process of yeah, no, the stewards so far way. this season. And the one thing that I will say for it is, even if I don't necessarily one hundred percent agree with the fact that it should always be a penalty, I think that the one thing that we've all asked for for pff, however long Forever. it's been is consistency. And the one thing that I feel is slightly consistent about this is, based on the outcome of the two vehicles, is deciding whether how harsh the penalty is. And I think that feels a little more consistent than it has been in the past. We're not seeing a car go off in the gravel and then one penalty being applied and another penalty not. We're seeing some form of consistency. Um, Yeah. I I think there's something to be said for that, at least, in this. I I still felt five seconds is a bit harsh, to be honest, though. Um, I mean, Albon, as you said, he kind of said he felt it was a 50-50. I think that was fair, like... It felt a bit to me like Magnussen had made a mistake and he was trying to overcompensate to fix yeah. it. Like if you mm. if you've made a mistake, you've put yourself offline, you're not going at the speed you should be at that corner, you shouldn't then just be returning to the racing line as quick as you can without 
checking your mirrors to see if someone's sticking their nose at the inside because any driver that sees opportunities like that is going to stick their nose at the inside. Yeah, yeah. I think that's why it's, it was like 50-50 initially for me. Um, yeah. I don't think Magnussen's realised Albon's had the look until it's already too late. Again. Yeah, in, in the like... same way, in the same way that Albon didn't realise until it was too late the gap was going to close. Magnussen's probably not realised until it's too late that I don't know. Albon's I don't having know the look that. and going for the gap. I think Magnussen knows exactly where Albon is and he's trying to chop his nose off. <laughs> I think I, mean, it's, I think it's fifty fifty. I do think I think Albon so too. is kind of like. It's not a traditional overtaking spot and he knows he's getting in trouble by going for that move, I think, before he makes it. But by the time you've hit the brakes, it's too late. But definitely, you know, you're looking to the right, you're looking at the apex. You've got to look past your mirror to see that apex. Yeah. And yeah. you know Albon's there. Like, There's no doubt in my mind that you can see Albon in his mirror going for that corner. I think, um, go on. I think something that's very telling is that as far as I heard, there wasn't really much effing and jeffing from Magnussen about, I can't believe he's taken me out like that, which mm. to me sounds a lot like he knew he was trying his luck a bit and it didn't pay off for him. Yeah, you it was more of a, yeah, maybe. I can't, I can't believe you've done this. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know that meme? <laughs> where you get, oh, I know it all guys, too well. <laughs> such a I good meme. I know it all too well. Bring it up with those sweet vines because yeah. it's... It's 2015 all over again. <laughs> Speaking of Albon, I've seen a lot of negativity around him this weekend, a lot of pressure being put on him off the back of a couple of not great results. I mean, as much as that's the norm for a Red Bull second driver, it feels pretty undeserved, I think. like I actually think the fact that he had that incident, got some damage, got a five-second penalty and had to pit one more time than everyone around him. The fact that he still brought it home with the points, I thought was a pretty solid recovery drive, to be honest. Um, yeah. And and can can we still just take a moment, as I keep trying to point out to people, he's still not had a full season exactly. in <laughs> yeah. that Red Bull, let alone a regular season that's consistent from start to end. He's still not, he's still not had a full season in it yet. Like, um, give the guy a chance. Yeah, like... We're always having a go at Red Bull for unceremoniously ditching a driver and swapping them round. We have people haven't even given Albon a full season in the car before they're already saying he's not good enough. Like, give the guy a little bit of a break, especially considering the the whole condensed COVID affected season yeah. that we're having at the moment. It's it's not easy for anyone, so. And, Especially yeah, a guy look, that's only look, been in the team three months. Yeah, look, look, Alex Albon is safe in that seat. First of all, Christian Horner hasn't given him the death rattle and said that mm. he has the full backing of the team. <laughs> so that's one thing. <laughs> I think I feel like I've stolen Chris's joke there a little bit, but no, I was just going to um, say, like, to be fair, it is worth saying that none of this stuff is actually coming from anywhere within Red Bull. This seems to be like. It's yeah, almost it's like people are expecting it from Red Bull. It's not coming, so they're just going ahead and saying it anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing is Red Bull have got no one to replace him with right now. Like no one's got yeah. enough super license on their yeah. roster, super license points on their roster. No Although, one's got the experience. So, I mean, I, I, yeah, are they really going to put Kvyat or Gasly into that seat ever? No, I did not. see one interesting suggestion online today. Um, none of none of their younger drivers are really ready for that seat. But 
Sergio Perez might be looking for a, a decent seat next year. Ooh. Is I mean, Sergio Perez the right person to partner Max Verstappen? Uh, it's a question no. for Christian and Helmet, isn't it? Yeah. I don't think, <laughs> Expertly I don't avoided. Think... <laughs> Christian yeah. his political prowess. I, yeah, yeah, I'd like to see it Chris personally. I'd very much like Evans to see it. strikes again. <laughs> Um, I don't think he is the right person to partner Max Verstappen myself. I think he'd, he'd cause way too much uh, trouble in that team, Sergio Perez. He's maybe yeah. a bit too old and wise to put up with Red Bull's usual second driver antics, isn't he? I think. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I don't think he'd even put himself in the position. Yeah, you're right. I think if I mean it does it raises an interesting question because it increasingly looks like Perez, to, to take us off topic slightly. It increasingly looks like Perez is going to be left without a drive next season. And you do wonder where Perez is going to end up, if he's going to go to the States and do some IndyCar driving or something like that. And maybe maybe he will. It's a bit nearer to Mexico. Yeah. So. I feel like like the, the initial driver changes this season came about because of Vettel um, and Ferrari parting ways. I feel like the next one that might cause a ripple is going to be Raikkonen potentially. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of getting the impression that Raikkonen's not really enjoying tooling around at the back anymore. Is that because of that excellent radio message we heard this week? <laughs> oh, it's so good. that I cracked up when I heard it. He has a point, though, to be oh, fair. Oh, he does. To be fair to Kimmy, he has a point. Like For, for those who may not have seen it because he obviously didn't make the, the live broadcast, <laughs> Kimmy was being told to box, so boxed. And at the point he entered the pit lane, he was told to stay out and it got some Fs, some Jeffs and <laughs> yeah. some it's too late now, effing Jeffing, effing yeah, Jeff. So Jeff good. Do, do you want to know Effer. something funny? I heard that one uncensored because I helped make it. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think I, it's, did, it's, it was a clip that we saw Chris uncensored as well. It was knocking Somehow. around on Reddit, I think, uncensored. Because yeah. I think, isn't the like, Part of the app is that you can listen to driver things like in real time. Yeah, you get it live. Yeah, so people always like grab them from the the F1 app and stick them on Reddit and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, I just get the impression that Kimmy's not enjoying himself anymore. (laughs) So there may be a seat opening up there that'll start things shuffling around. Yeah, he's certainly um, not enjoyed this weekend, that's for sure. No. Um, But like, if you're Sergio Perez... And you you're in a car that's you find yourself in a car that's worthy of podiums for the first time in a long time. Um, are you really going to go back down the grid to to Alfa Romeo? Well, I can't see him going there. I just wonder if that seat's going to start another domino effect that will see him shuffling somewhere else. Although to mm. be fair, like that team is still essentially Sauber, and he's had a. He's got quite a long history yeah, with them. Yeah, relationship with them. Um, I think if, if Raikkonen leaves, then that's got to be Schumacher's seat, right, from F2? Yeah, Schumacher or Schwartzman, maybe. Yeah, they're both Ferrari drivers, aren't they, both of them? Both at Primo yeah. as well. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, yeah we're, we're really a long Wildly way. Wildly off topic. <laughs> there was some really good midfield racing early on, um, especially with the safety cars bunching them back up again to have a good race with each other. I mean, Sainz was the one running in fifth before his failure, but dare I say that Renault potentially looked like the best of the rest team in the race? Yeah, they did. I mean, Ricardo finished fourth, didn't he? Yeah, so. amazing result for yeah. them. Ocon 
Norris was like in a Renault sandwich, wasn't he? It was Ricardo, then Norris, then Ocon. Yeah, Re- don't know where Renault suddenly got this pace from, but they yeah. looked really, really good. Like yeah, pushed good. McLaren all the way, which is not something they seemed able to do up until this point mm. in the season. Ricardo almost lost a bet this weekend. Oh, really? Yeah, he he had a bet with Cyril Abitable. Um, that he wouldn't get a podium this season <laughs> and Cyril betted otherwise and um, yeah he almost lost himself a bet <laughs> <laughs> it, um, it, I think it bodes well potentially for that Renault-McLaren battle for the rest of the season though if they genuinely have found that much more pace um, I mean it does make you wonder what that McLaren will be able to do next year with the Mercedes engine in it given that they're there or thereabouts, more often than not, beating the Renault Works team with the same engine. Yeah. But there we go. I wonder how Ricardo feels about beating the McLarens at this point. Well, probably yeah. feels good about beating anyone, to be honest. But like deep down, are you thinking, ooh, have I you made know, the wrong move again? Like, there must be a I, I keep, bit of panic there. I keep sort of, this, this thought keeps flashing through my mind. So, like, whenever Ricardo comes up against the McLarens, I sort of think, or like when one of them's coming up behind him or something, it's like, I wonder what flashes through his head of like, how hard do I fight this? Because it's the team mm-hmm. I'm moving to. And the yeah. same thing happens whenever like uh, science gets Science. near a Ferrari. I sort yeah. of sit there thinking, I wonder what he's thinking here. Like, is he I just concentrating? I think they're all just concentrating on what they're doing there and then in the moment. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. think he probably think does. But You're not really looking at what colour the car is at that point. You're looking at how far that car is away from you and whether you can get by yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. It is funny though. It's like every every point he takes off McLaren right now is a little bit less money in his new team's pocket next season. <laughs> yeah, that's a really. That's it. Good it's point. weird, isn't it? It's, it's really it's weird. weird. Where else? Um, I thought Gasly was really impressive to finish uh, seventh. Um, I think he started about eleventh or twelfth, I think. Um, but yeah, he had a really solid race to come home seventh. Uh, I would like to have seen where Kvyat could have finished if not for his enormous crash at Maggots. Yeah. Do we do we know if that was actually a, any kind of failure at the right rear, by the way? Because they, I know Brundle was adamant and it did look awfully suspicious at the time. But The team have said they are almost certain it was, but they don't actually know exactly yet. I've not seen anything up until the point we started recording. But yeah, it felt like everyone in the world thought that was a failure and not his fault except him because he was like yeah. really apologetic and very hard on himself. Um, like, I think he feels like he, he's gone, got too much curb and, and dropped yeah, it, doesn't it? It doesn't um, look like that, though. The way it just snaps like that very much looks like some kind of failure yeah. to me. Mm, yeah, it does, it does look like a failure. I, I yeah. don't know. I've, I've not seen anything, but um, I, certainly at the time, I thought that's not. It, did, it didn't look like driver error to me. No, it no. didn't. Especially not there. No. Nah. I mean, they're on rails at that point. So. Yeah, yeah, the amount of downforce on those cars, they don't just snap like that on their own. No. That's it. Like Brundle made it abundantly clear about how much error mm. is going through the car at that point. And for it to just suddenly give up for no reason is very, very, very weird. Likely. Yeah. 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 Uh, Lance Stroll finished down in ninth. Um, he only got those couple of points because of the Bottas and Sainz tyre failures despite him being... He was third in FP1, fastest in FP2, and fourth in FP3. And after that, him only qualifying sixth looked like a disappointment. But then in the race, he just sort of went backwards, didn't he? It just didn't seem to have any race pace. 
both the Renaults and the McLarens just had no trouble at all getting past him. And even uh, Gasly, as we mentioned, just sort of strolled past him. Yeah. <laughs> no pun intended. Ah, wait, <laughs> I, see, I see what you did there. I it's, like your work. It's weird, though, because last week we were saying how important these next few races are going to be for Stroll and Perez, given the uncertainty of those seats. And then, as usual, the day after the podcast went live, we found out that Perez wasn't going to be there. But I almost feel like Stroll's stock has still gone down a bit, regardless of Perez not being there this weekend. Like, it was... They looked nailed on for that third podium spot yeah. for all of Friday and yeah. Saturday morning. And they just well, went nowhere. I think I know why. Oh, yeah? Um, Probably because I put my faith in him. That's usually what happens. <laughs> I put my faith in something and it goes down the plot. That, that was that was my first reason. <laughs> my, my other reason is because he wasn't using the power properly of the car as a drive. So it's driver error. And th- th- I don't know how long this was going on for, but there's a radio message where um, they're telling him to use the energy from the <laughs> from the battery store, from the mm-hmm. energy store. And um, he's saying he's tell he's going back to his engineers saying he doesn't have any power. He's out of energy. And the engineer comes back to him and says, "You got loads." Of the, he says, "You got loads of power. Press the energy button to him." <laughs> so you do wonder, Ooh. like, it's not a good look, is it? I mean, may, maybe he's not getting all the information he needs at the at the time he needs it. But that's a pretty clear driver error. Yeah, that's to, not good or, at all. Or, or a larger problem that they've they need to identify because if he's if he's saying I'm doing something and I'm not getting any power and they're saying it's there push the button and he's saying I'm not getting anything there might be a bit there might be a bit more yeah. to that that well this well this is something not working this this exchange was he thought he had no energy but he did have his energy store was full so he wasn't using the energy that he'd built up in the car, and yeah. maybe, maybe it's a technical. Maybe you know, because a lot of the t- I think Lando Norris said like a, it's basically automatic the uh, the way the power yeah. is distributed in in the uh, in the in the engine range through as the, as the cars accelerate. But you still have a lot of control over how much power it gives you at any yeah. any one point, and if you've not got it turned up to the point where you need it a given time then obviously you're going to be a sitting duck for the people that do yeah. have the power turned up so it, it just seems to me that maybe that could be one of the reasons why it's a bit slow it wasn't to qualify so well uh, sorry to be so fast in fp1 and fp2 and fp3 and um then suddenly on race day find yourself nowhere then it's just a bit weird to me that yeah something definitely yeah. not right there hopefully they'll fix it for the next one and hulkenberg will have a fighting chance at the podium it's what we all want to see, right? I've had a stat queued up for like two or three races now that we've still not got to use. Oh. And and every race that goes by it becomes a less impressive stat. Essentially, as soon as <laughs> Racing Point get a podium, half of the teams on the grid will have stood on the podium. But that that would have sounded really impressive had they achieved that in the third or fourth race. But now we're like half the season in. It's slightly less impressive, but there we go. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about Vettel. He finished down in 10th. Uh, he finished just ahead of uh, the recovering Bottas to cap off what's probably one of the most miserable races for him I've ever seen. He he lost most of FP1 to an intercooler issue. Then basically the whole weekend, he just never looked comfortable, did he? He was 
so low down the timesheets in the practice sessions. He did pretty well, actually, to qualify. Um, was it 10th he qualified? Yeah, 10th. Yeah, just. But, he, yeah, he just, like, had next to no pace in the race. I mean, we saw him getting overtaken by a Alpha Tauri, which is not something you ever expect to see, is it? Um <laughs> He said after the race, the result was very poor, but the car was very difficult to drive. I struggled to find confidence, and I don't know why, so we need to have a good look. But certainly, if I struggled to so many laps in the race, and it was beginning, it was the beginning to the end, there's something that probably doesn't stack up. Um, mm. I saw another interview where he basically said he was, throughout the race, trying to sort of change his driving style and his approach every few laps, yeah. and just nothing worked. Yeah, he said that on the radio to the engineer at the end as well. Really? Um, he, yeah. Well, Mattia Mattia Binotto came on the radio and said, um, you know, he knew it had been tough. Uh, we'll go again next week. We'll have another crack at it next week. And and uh, Sebastian just did not respond to the point where his, his engineer said, uh, radio check <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to see... So that tells you everything you need to know about Sebastian Vettel's um, attitude towards Ferrari. It really does. Like after Bernardo finished talking to him, you actually see his thumb like hover over the radio button and then just move away again. It's like... Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is that, shall I? No, I won't. Isn't it? Yeah. Do you ever think you could read so much from the body language of a single thumb? But like... Yeah. It just seems like absolute dejection, doesn't it? He's just... Like... um, Obviously, they have to do multiple interviews with multiple TV channels. And I think it was um, RTL, the German channel, or no, sorry, it was Zigo, the Dutch channel, um, asked him about the race. And Vettel just said something like, can we talk about the weather instead? It's a really nice day today, isn't it? And it's like he just had no interest in talking about the race whatsoever. And he just kind of looked, I don't know, just really lost. broken. Yeah, lost. It's yeah. it's Every time I see that guy these days, it just makes me sad. Like, Yeah, it does me. It breaks heartbreaking. It really it's is. actually, like, properly heartbreaking. It to, really, to, really to, is. To, to witness a man go from such power and, you know, to be the, 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 the cock of the field, if you like, to then really... He's, he's really got his tail between his legs at the moment, mm. hasn't he? He's really kind of just, you know, he's... It, obviously, he'll never be a nobody, but it's, you get the sense that he feels just the Ferrari are making him feel really small, and they shouldn't because he's a bloody legend. Yeah, I mean, he, he won this race two years ago, and now he was just absolutely nowhere. I mean, yeah, you want to get the impression yeah. he just is going through the motions to get this season yeah. out of the way, don't you? Big time, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I just hope that we see him somewhere on the grid. There was, there was the. The elbow bump with uh, Lawrence Stroll that was caught on camera yeah. that everyone is reading into probably way more than is deserved. But um, <laughs> from what I've heard, the the feeling in the paddock does seem to be that him taking Perez's seat is sort of in the works and it's well on the way to happening. Uh, some people even claim that it was due to be announced this weekend, but after what happened to Perez, they thought that might not be in the best taste. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, maybe not. But it's it's seen that way. The only other thing in the race reads talk about is Grosjean. Uh, he picks up a black and white flag in the race and was given a warning by the stewards afterwards for some um, some slightly ropey defensive driving. Do we think? Yeah, it's slightly <laughs> aggressive moving under braking, wasn't it? Oh, against Sainz. Sainz and Ricardo. Sainz and Ricardo did to them both. Yeah, it's so. stupid. 
bit stupid. He yeah. was pushing hundred. He said he was pushing a hundred percent for the entire race. Grosjean did. Like, it's it's a shame because those those incidents kind of tarnished what was a really good performance to that. It point. was, yeah. Like, they they'd taken the risk on keeping him out there instead of pitting him, and he'd done really well to to. Because you, you imagine that he'd just eventually get swamped by the yeah. cars around him. And he didn't. He he really held held out, but he then carried on fighting after it was already gone. Like he fought a little too hard and kind of put a little bit of a uh, smudge against what was a, did, a decent yeah. drive other than that. Got the got the old harsh grey mist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do think it was interesting that I thought what he did against Ricardo was probably worse than what he did against Sainz. But Sainz was complaining like crazy. And Ricardo, after the race, was like, it was borderline, but it was probably still just about okay. <laughs> like, yeah. I think that probably tells more about the two of them than it does about Grosjean. But. As, as you know, I've, I felt Carlos has complained quite a lot recently, <laughs> especially over this weekend. Yeah. yeah. He, did have a, he was having a bit of a... He was shown on, shown on the broadcast having a lot of whinge on the, on the radio. But I, you know what, though? Tom, it's only because they showed it. They're all at it. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely, yeah, they all whinge. I think it's just fitting that, I made this joke with Chris, but I think it's fitting (laughs) that he's on his way to Ferrari and he's starting (laughs) to learn to whinge like a Ferrari driver. (laughs) Yeah, it's so true. Because he sounded very Vettelesque of, these guys, they're in the way, they're on the racing line. Mm. Oh, get them out of the way. He came in like a torpedo. (laughs) He's been to the Ferrari training camp already. Yeah, yeah, they've, they've got him signed up. Um, race director Michael Massey has said that uh, the rules around sort of weaving and changing direction of the braking zone is something that will be discussed at the next driver's meeting, which is going to be incredibly awkward given that Grosjean is one of the directors of the uh, Grand Prix Drivers Association. So sadly, that'll be a Zoom meeting and not a real meeting. So we probably won't get to see it, unfortunately. And then last bit, uh, George Russell made it to Q2 again, ahead of both the Hasses and both the Alfa Romeos. Although we did get a five-place penalty for ignoring yellow flags, which was a shame. He finished 12th with Latifi in 15th. And Williams actually seemed to have some race pace this weekend. Like, we've had a yes. couple of races where they've qualified well and then faded. But they may be even starting to look like they're on the cusp of overtaking Alfa Romeo. Hmm. Which, There's the yeah. potential there, isn't there? Yeah. Which, do you know what? I didn't expect it here either. No, I honestly expected them to come to Silverstone and be stuck struggling again because of the way that it, it's such a it's such a like car build dependent. You have to have the car at Silverstone. Yeah. For, really for, the, the amount of time that you're going to lose through like Sector 2 alone without a good car, I just thought oh, they're going to they're struggle. But they're really pleasantly surprised, really pleasantly surprised by that. Like, well, all three of us had basically the Williams both come in last on the road, didn't we? Yeah. Like, when it came to predicting George's position, we were all basically saying he'll finish one above whatever's last yeah. on the road. He'll be ahead yeah, of Latifi, that's, that's and that's one, it. That's the one that got me. It's the it one is, that yeah. got me. It is. Yeah, it is. Um, um, so yeah, really pleasantly surprised by that, yeah. and and it's it's very promising for Williams because it means that the car is there, it or it's coming together. Yeah, slowly but surely going in the right direction. Yeah, yeah, and um, also if uh, a quick sort of nod to Robert Kubica here while we're talking about this because uh, George has handily outdone his teammate again this season by a similar amount to what um, he yeah. was last mm. season. So that to me would probably put. 
the pace of uh, Robert Kubica at a similar level to a much much younger driver who's got yes. full use of his body, which is um, it's quite amazing, really. Yeah, it is actually. It, it's sort of again we all expected Russell to beat Latifi this season, but the fact that it's kind of in a similar ballpark does say more about the season Kubica had, doesn't it? Yeah, and also it says a lot about George as well, not to take away that either, because obviously to, to beat your teammate by a big margin, the way he has been over the last two seasons, I mean, it's less, you know, it could be that that he's he's really, really, really has got the goods. We keep saying it on this, we're all big fans of George Russell, and he's quietly sort of getting on with it in that team and, and learning his trade in Formula One. And... Yeah, I, I still truly think that he will eventually replace Hamilton at, um, at Mercedes. Quite possibly, yeah. I mean, yeah. That's, that's the plan, isn't it? <laughs> exactly, yeah. You'd hope so, yeah. And let's not forget that for all the sort of headlines that Norris and Albon get in F2, George Russell quite handily beat both of them. Oh, yeah, he smashed it. Yeah. In fact, I forgot until someone pointed out the other day, um, in their F2 season, Norris only won one race in the first round. Yeah. Norris was like the season. massive deal all season, and yeah. like he was never as quick as George. No, it's uh... it was a great qualifier. Though. That was that's what got the headlines. Yeah, was it was really yeah. a good qualifier. But Russell's just, I think, slightly the more rounded off package. I'd say. Yeah. At that, at that point in the um, at that point in their race race driving careers, exactly. Yeah. But I think they're probably much more even nowadays. I'd say. But yeah, very nice to see Russell and Williams going in the right direction. Big time. Yeah. Let's pick ourselves a driver of the day. <laughs> Ooh, a few options, isn't there? Um, yeah, there is this week. I mean, Hamilton's... To, 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 <laughs> to get it around with not all your wheels on the wagons, pretty good going at the end of a race. Um, but I mean, I, think I have to give that to my, my vote. I'm... Personally, more inclined to go Danny Rick. Reason reason being is, yes, I, I know he may have capitalised from issues ahead of him to get that fourth place and, and come close to that podium. But the fact that he was there sniffing around that, he was ahead of the Racing Point and the McLarens. Like, he was... He was ahead of cars you would expect to be handily beaten. Yeah. And I think that's a solid drive from Danny Rick, to be totally honest with you, to to be ahead of, of those and comfortably ahead of his teammate again in Ocon. Mm. Um, That's true. I, I kind of feel like had Sainz managed to finish in that position, we'd have been giving it to him. But I am happy to yeah. go with Ricardo, fully acknowledging that he's essentially stealing driver of the day from Carlos Sainz. <laughs> <laughs> um, like another one is... Lando game. Norris. Lando Norris finished fifth, and he's he's up to fourth in the championship. Yeah, back yeah. there, isn't he? Be, beating it's... both Ferraris. Yeah, it's a solid day. Solid yeah. day for Norris as well. Mm. Gasly as well was a very good drive. I thought that's that's another contender actually. Yeah, Gasly's again profited from a couple of things going on ahead of him, but in the right place at the right time. Realistically, yeah, and made some decent overtakes. You've got to be in it. You've got to be in there to. Yeah. Take take advantage, and also Charles Leclerc. That Ferrari should not have been qualifying where he put it, and should not have been finishing the race where he did. Yeah, he absolutely well, maximised that car. I think. I, I remember saying I I seriously see them struggling to get in the top ten 
I struggle. I see. I struggle. I see them struggling to get points, and it's. I don't know. It concerns me slightly that one half of the garage was in that exact position and the other half wasn't. Yeah. Like, there's a multitude of reasons as to why, but yeah, it's. I'm I'm very surprised that Charles was where he was. All that said, though, I think I can go with Ricardo. Cool. That feels. I can go Ricardo. That seems to be where we're leaning. I'll give you that. Yeah. 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 Okay, Ricardo, it is. How about move of the day? Norris had a good mm. one round the outside of Luffield. Which way around is it? Is it Luffield or is it Brooklyn's the big uh, one? Luffield. Yeah, he had a good one round the outside of Luffield. Yeah, he was he was around the outside of Ricardo, and then he actually almost got signs into Cops right afterwards yes. as well. Um, yeah, he did. That's the only one I even wrote down because that is the <laughs> one for me. <laughs> yeah. And his oh, mirror well, was broken. His mirror was broken as well, so he got to the next corner and just left <laughs> Actually, the door yeah. wide open. That was, that was after he got past Grosjean, I want to say. That was Grosjean into Vale, yeah. Uh, no, sorry, he did he did Grosjean through Stowe. Um again, possibly around the outside if my memory serves me right. But he had a wheel to wheel with Grosjean through Stowe. And then as they came down to Vale, he went so far to the right yeah. and so far wide outside. And he was joking with Jensen afterwards uh, in one of his interviews, because uh, Jensen was saying like what was that line after you overtook Grosjean? He's like, my mirror was broken. I knew he was there somewhere. I just didn't know where. But but as well, that's that's like good racing etiquette for the fact that for him to be able to say, look, I know the guy's there somewhere. I can't Listen. see him properly because my, willy, my, my yeah. uh, wing mirror is broken. I'm going to leave enough space so that the guy can make the corner. So many drivers would have used that as an excuse to to hit, like, if contact happened, oh, well, my mirror was broken, so I couldn't see him. Yeah, exactly. Like That's Kevin good Magn- etiquette, are you, that. Are you looking at Kevin Magnussen? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Speaking of um, Norris talking to Button, at some other point over the weekend, they were, he was doing an interview. And they were talking about tire wear and like tire life and stuff. And Jensen said something about like, oh, like I was never good at like that particular aspect. And um, Lando said, oh, like yeah. Jensen, you're still held up as like the holy grail of tire management yeah. within McLaren. Like, what it are was, you talking about? It it was that Button was basically saying, I might have been good at it, but I hated it. I he like he never yeah. got on with the fact that he had to manage tires to yeah, that was to it. see a race out. And it was more that he disliked it, despite being good at it. <laughs> an, an interesting thing, thing happened, I noticed in that interview. Mm. So, like, they were talking about it, and um, moments later, they were talking about how they have to manage the tires even at the very beginning of the race. If you feel an understeer, you just Lando was saying you just yeah. back out of it rather than try yeah. to drive through it because you don't want to rag your tires. And at that point, so, so he was saying how you'd. You'd be doing that through the entire race, even at the race start. You'll be con- imagining your tires from start to finish. And at the point he said that, Jensen Button turned around and looked at Simon Lazenby as if to say, "See, this is what I'm talking about. This guy is really, really good." And yeah, he, he, yeah. he just had that look on his face as if to say, "We've had this conversation. He's just proved my point." Yeah, Do you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. So. Jensen Button definitely sees something in Lando Norris. Um, mm. Is the conclusion to that little tidbit? And I would, I'm as biased as we are. I would wholeheartedly take Jensen's opinion as gospel. <laughs> so, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> also, speaking of Jensen, his team won the first round of the uh, British GT Championship um, yes. at Alton Park. Yay! Well um, done. 
And then also speaking of Lando, the other uh, nomination for move of the day surely is picking a five-year-old's design for your race helmet. <laughs> so either way, oh. Lando is winning move of the day because that's one of the best Lando, things I've ever seen. Lando, Lando Norrie. Norrie S. Did you Norrie see he changed S, his yeah. Twitter name as well? Did he? Yeah. yeah. He changed his Twitter <laughs> name to Lando Norrie S. Yeah. <laughs> Final award. Honestly, what the f- are we doing here? Uh, nominations this week? Tyres? No, I don't know. It's too obvious. I, I, I don't think tires, but I think w, the WTF. It, I mean, it is a it's pretty huge WTF moment crossing the line with three wheels on your wagon, isn't it? It kind yeah. of is, yeah. It's, Just... it's very obvious, but it's 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 undeniable. It was it was made all the worse by the fact that <laughs> David Croft managed to, in in a true broken clock twice a day moment, announce that Hamilton had got. A puncture before it had happened. Yeah, I mean, to be fair to him, the on-screen graphics kind of they tricked did. him into that. Um, yeah. And then, then for good measure, he announced that he crossed the line to win when he was only coming past the old pit complex on the new one. Yeah, yeah. God, yeah he had like, I, I get that those moments are very high pressure uh, because of the nature of it, but. It's just this one job. <laughs> so, like he bugs me so much with that. Like well, especially, think, especially when yeah. everyone can see it and go, oh, David, we all know that that's not. Yeah, right. I think like, that the hard thing is like it's it's just a bit of mind management's required at that point, isn't it? Like yeah, you know, I, I'm with you, Tom. Like I, I don't think those kind of mistakes are are excusable when you're commentating on at the pinnacle of motorsport. I think you know, yeah. call the race when. The winner crosses the line is he, kind of like it's your bread and butter, isn't it? Kind of, yeah. Is, yeah. He's he's <laughs> he's too excitable. I think that's what it is. Like he gets this idea. Like for example, I think that that whole Hamilton incorrectly calling it, even though it happened eventually. I think that all comes from he's like quite excitable in his mind, and he's like, yeah. oh, oh, he's already thinking this could happen to Hamilton. This could yeah, be a huge yeah, moment but, here. But then he sees yeah. that graphic, and he's instantly triggered into believing that graphic because mm. he's in he's in his own head at that point. And but, yeah, but I think calmly uh, next to him, going, calm down, David. That's no, but I think in his de- in his defense, in his defense, if a graphic comes up, you know, the, the, they, those graphics are very, very. You do take a, a big lead off of yeah. those graphics. Yeah, totally. So like, I, it's not. He's sat. It's not like he's sat, sort of overlooking the track. He's well, he is sat overlooking the track, but he's probably got more of an eye on his screens and his data channels than he has on the actual circuit because there's always so much you can see out your window. I think something that would be nice for the FIA, who or whoever would control it, I assume it'd be the FIA um, or maybe FOM. I don't know. Someone, whoever, whoever regulates the fact that they've got to put the numbers, for example, on the shark fin things in a particular position and mm. to a particular size, would be nice if they mandate the fact that they had to put the driver TLD and number on the inside of the halo. Because teams like Racing yeah. Point do it anyway, um, because sometimes it's hard to distinguish a driver from the helmet when they're both wearing like a team-branded helmet, for example, Racing Point, more often than not, the helmets are both pink to yeah. match the BWT branded. Red Bull helmets are usually quite similar because they match the Red Bull branded. So something like that being mandatory on the inside would not only help more casual viewers identify who a driver is quickly, but also Mr. Croft in those moments of sudden drama, he can see right in front of him who it is, regardless <laughs> of what the graphic's saying to him. I'd, I, yeah. I'd love to see those made some kind yeah. of mandatory thing that... 
it just helps yeah. from a viewer perspective, I think. Definitely. Mm, yeah, yeah, you're right. I think what so what I'll tell you what Crofty has, but what I think Crofty has in his um in his booth, there's a number of options that you can have, like for all the different um feeds that 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 F1 supply to supply internally and supply out to a lot of them go to F1 TV, and we get like a we get what's called a multi view, which is kind of like it's got four um screens on each uh, in one screen so a split screen four ways so on one part of it we'll have the map of the track with the driver tracker we'll have um the data feed on part of it that'll give you during the data feed varies like some but anyone who's got f1 tv will will sort of be screaming at me now but (laughs) because i'm just explaining what they've got but (laughs) for you for you guys i don't think you would have seen it if you don't have f1 tv they've got um the in the race there's like as the as the time progresses in the race you get like a tire plot and it sort of goes across you get a little bar going across with a lap number on it and um when they pit and change tires that that bar will turn to a circle and then it'll continue on from there and um it it just tells you which tire they're on and when they change so you've got a view of like what tire everyone's on at a particular point in the race so we'll have that um and then live timing. Obviously. He's probably got yeah. He'll have which that well that contains the live timing ah, of okay. that data feed. Um, he probably does have like the traditional live timing board up as well. And then I imagine he has some combination of onboard and um, world feed being broadcasting. So the world feed is literally just what you get, but he'll get it. He'll get the world feed five seconds before you hear him say anything. Yeah. Yeah. So. He'll say it as he sees it, but he's getting we we get it five seconds before it goes out in onto Sky and then Sky. So there's like a we we'll, we can sometimes have the world feed up on one screen and the Sky feed up on another, and there's like a delay between the two. So we'll see what happens before it actually happens from inside the office. Which is, you, you can tell in qualifying normal. sometimes they'll sort of almost announce the driver's time as they cross the line faster than yeah. you should be able to read it, kind of thing. But I guess that's why because it's it's sort of tweaked to be in sync i suppose kind of yeah yeah basically yeah tell you what isn't in sync and that's the audio oh, whenever no. you see on boards and that has been <laughs> driving me crazy this season yeah, there is a reason there is a reason for that i was trying to someone told me once what it was and i can't remember what it is it's to do with i think it's to do with the processing speed of the of the system but i don't i couldn't tell you though i don't know for sure because there's so much data that goes into those that, that literally reading like thousands of inputs per second and obviously like if you watch it it doesn't oh, it clearly isn't like running at 60 frames a second even so the, there's something the the rear view obviously when it's because that's the cool thing about it they got the rear view mirror in the middle of it now which yeah. is really really nice yeah but um yeah there is a delay to it i, I it's not always there either. Sometimes there is a day and other times there isn't. And I, someone did once tell me, but I can't remember why it is. It's one of those things that once so you know, I'll, I'll get back to you on that It's one. all you can see. Yeah. However, in their favour, we finally got picture-in-picture picture this weekend. We've yes. been Everyone has been screaming at how much yeah. that would add to the, uh, the broadcast. And it, it felt a little bit like they were just giving it a go. They weren't really going for it. But I'm so glad they're finally doing that because... I mean, everyone knows the amount of times that they cut away from something exciting happening to show something not exciting happening. They can now show you both things at once. 
it is yeah. ni- it's a nice integration into the timing it is yeah it's a cool well. way yeah and and i think the way that they used it is is ideal because they were they were showing like a, a more midfield battle I, I can't remember who was on screen if i'm told it might have been straw or someone like that but they were showing, showing something going on in the midfield and then the point was Meanwhile, Lewis is like running in clean air and this is what's <laughs> yeah. happening. And it was just like a little picture in picture showing how clear the track was for him and how easy a drive it was at that point for him. Like, there he and is. It was just He's still winning. Gone. Yeah, but it was the right way of doing it. Like, yeah. I imagine the sponsors won't be happy that it was done that way around. But <laughs> like, if it, at least it's better for the viewers that way around. Yeah. All that being said, though, I think. <laughs> what did we say the WTF was? Oh, it's, it's winning a race on tires. three tyres, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, winning a race on three tyres, yeah. yeah. Let's go with that. I think that's fine. Done. And that, nice. I think, is the race. Yeah. I will right. um, I'll run us through some prediction info so that we can then look ahead to next race. <laughs> um, so this week's predictions, we got a 5 out of 5. Ryan Tom scored a perfect 5 out of 5, so... Make sure you get in touch with us. I'll send an email out from the email address that you registered with. But Damn yeah, impressive. get in touch with us any other way if you can. It was impressive considering that the random driver was Russell and he finished 12th above many people's expectations. A lot of sort of 16th, 17th. That's so to, to go out there on a limb and, and go with 12th was a, a good shout, ultimately. Got, got you the 5 out of 5. We said it sort of looks like an easy week. And be thinking that's where Russell would finish and then proceed to get it completely wrong. So to... Yeah. To predict him popping up that high, yeah. Damn impressive. Yeah. I wanted to give like a bit of an honourable mention as well to, uh, where is it? Uh, Gus Moore. Reason being, Gus successfully predicted Kevin Magnuson, 17 finishers, and George Russell, 12th. The one thing he, Gus didn't do <laughs> is go with a double Hamilton quali and win. Oh, no. And, and his two choices were so close as well because it was Valtteri for Paul and Max for the win. Oh, no. And I, I just feel for Gus in this scenario. So I wanted to give Gus a mention. Oh, at this point that's devastating. He got the hardest those, part, right? Yeah, the, the three harder ones, or what you'd consider the harder ones. Mm. And just a, a nice statistic for you 190 people scored points this week. Which which means it's probably one of our highest ever point scoring ratios of ninety four point five percent of entrants scored. Wow, point of some capital. degree. So yes. congratulations to all those who did score points. Um, mainly Stu for us three. Yeah, Stu, you, you were close to a five out of five yourself. It was the Russell. Yeah, that yeah. Let you Russell down. let me down, as I alluded to earlier. Russell, yeah. sort of. He let you I mean, down I, by doing better than you thought. He let me down thought. by doing better than I thought he would. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm glad he, he let me down in the best possible way. Yeah. So I'm not. It's like a bet hedge, isn't it? You you mm. bet that he doesn't do well, so that if you lose, at least he's done better than you expected. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a win-win silver scenario. Lining. Weird. Silver weird lining. Sort of silver lining. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, Chris and I just got the obvious two points for Hamilton and Hamilton. Um, in terms of the overall leaderboard, what that leaves us with is we've got uh, Oscar Fielding and Angus Monday are equal top on nine points at the minute. Uh, and then we've got Ben O, Simon Maul, Felipe Gergel, I hope I'm saying that right, Brendan Bain and Manisha Naveen all tied behind them on eight points. Um, in terms of us three, I'm down in 24th on six. Stu's closed that gap right up. He's on five and a half now. And Chris is 
wallowing sadly on three. <laughs> wallowing. Oh my goodness. See, when you said yeah. me and you only got two points this week, I'm like, yeah, that's more than half my total. I'll take it. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah, that's a, that's a good claim for you there. Um, I'm trying and... to imagine Chris wallowing. I don't, I don't think that's a picture I can conjure in my mind. But... Not much of a wallower. Um, <laughs> no. He's, he, he always looked poised. <laughs> speaking of poised if you are poised to join in with predictions because you think this sounds fun uh, you can head to backofthegrid.com where you can register if you haven't already um, it's never too late to do so as there's always points on offer and as Ryan Thomas proven and a couple of people have come close already this season 5 out of 5 is possible so prizes are up for grabs week on week not just at the end of the season um, and with that, I guess we should move, as I say, to the 70th anniversary Grand Prix predictions, <laughs> a.k.a. British GP 2.0. Yeah. British GP, the sequel. Yeah, um, yeah. so storylines leading into the 70th anniversary Grand Prix. Um, the first one we've got is, can Racing Point recover their missing pace? Um, sounds like they need to turn, start using the energy button yeah. a little bit more over there um obviously they need one of the engines running in the first place in order to do that um <laughs> i guess the hope yeah the hope we've covered it a little bit already but the hope will be to get both cars on track and um figure out where they went wrong wrong last race right considering after testing we were saying they're going to be picking up podiums and we know however many races in they still haven't is yeah really disappointing season for them so far yeah um, would you say so? A quick yes or no, I guess. Like, would you blame the driver? Would who? No, all right, not a yes or no. But who would you blame more, the driver or the team, in the latest instance? I think the fact that one car didn't even start, and then the other one sounds like he's had problems deploying a, a fairly crucial power component for the engine. I'll reserve judgment until I see what happens. So yeah, it sounds like you're on the on the fence, Tom. I'm not necessarily on the fence. I just don't want to throw Lance Stroll under the bus after one average yeah. performance. It'd be easy to tell had there <laughs> been two one. cars in the race, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah would exactly. That that's the critical thing. There is, yeah. if the second car had been there, it would have been much easier to gauge the performance of of Lance. I mean, Stroll yes. proved in practice that there is pace in the car and that he can extract yeah. that pace. But it's no good on a Friday, yeah. is it? No, nope. no. Points are won on a Sunday. Yeah. Um, speaking of points being won on a Sunday, Renault had a very good showing Sunday just gone. Will they be able to get another strong result at uh, at the 70th anniversary Grand Prix <laughs> next weekend? I, I guess like you'd, you'd think so, Did based on the Austria two races. I know they're on different tyres and it's going to be hot next weekend. But... Yeah, it looks good for them though. Yeah, I didn't really notice anyone particularly have like a compound-based preference. Like everyone seemed to do pretty all right across both. Like sometimes you see a team that stands out more on the harder compound, or a team that stands out more on the softer compound. Mm. But everyone seemed fairly quite consistent, wasn't it? Consistent across the board. Yeah. So I, mm. I don't think the changing compounds will prove too much of a an issue for most teams. Yeah. They're just probably going to be pushed into three stops, maybe some of them, yeah. if they, they're in the softer ones. I wonder if the varying temperatures over the weekend had an effect on um, racing points pace and, and on Renault's yeah. pace, actually. Yeah, yeah, well. yeah I wonder if like, each, of those, each of those cars prefer, you know, 
opposite ends of the temperature spectrum and maybe the racing points a lot better in really really warm conditions and the Renault's a bit better in sort of regular regular conditions yeah um certainly have effect it would have had an effect on tire performance and we lead and that leads us to the question of how much of a difference will the softer tires make next race especially given it's going to be very very hot Will they even bring the new tires? I suppose they're going to have to, because otherwise it's a case of manufacturing a whole another set of tires, right? Yeah, like they they make tires for the races coming up, don't they? I mean, I don't know how far ahead, whether they can bring some of their tires they're planned for Spain or whatever instead. But, I mean, obviously it's going to lead to more pit stops. But in terms of how that will affect performance... It's hard to tell because, as you say, it's, it looks like it's going to be that much hotter, which may favour some teams over others. Um, I don't know. I can see, it, I can see soft blistering and all. Yeah, possibly. I can sort of see softer tyres and more pit stops suiting Red Bull a little more potentially. Yeah, that feels more yeah, in their possibly. territory. Mm. It'll be interesting to see how it shakes up the order. I think if we have a consistently warm weekend throughout the the, the Grand Prix weekend, it'll be. I don't think it'll. I, I think obviously Mercedes are going to run away with it again. There's no doubt about that. That car's just. Yeah. I mean, they won the race on on three tires. For goodness' sake, they're gonna they're gonna walk this one next one probably same track as well. But um, in terms of the other team, it's so much. They're so much closer together, and. At the at the last sort of double header at the same track in Austria in the second race, I noticed that all the times, especially in qualifying, were much much closer together. They sort of really really condensed up because all they all got sort of their heads around the track and the margins yeah, so were smaller. Close, yeah. So, given that the margins were pretty close throughout a lot of the midfield for for this race just gone. I think we can expect to see a little bit, a slightly more sort of topsy-turvy, jumbled-up grid um, for the next race, especially given the softer tyres. Yeah, I think it's nice to have a compound change because we've obviously had that back-to-back element where not really a huge amount changed other than mm. I guess, a bit of a weather factor. But yeah. like to actually have a definitive compound change will be interesting. Um yeah. It's the closest you're ever going to get, well, at least in the minute, it's the closest you're going to get to like the F2 equivalent of one's a feature race with a mandatory stop, one's a sprint race designed to maybe go lights to flag without any stops, apart from in certain circumstances like we've seen this weekend where safety cars cause them and stuff. But generally speaking, sprint races kind of go lights to flag, don't they? So it's it gives us almost an element of that mix-up, I guess. But I, I hope it provides enough of a mix-up that they think that we should maybe make this more of a regular thing because it's it's a nice change isn't it i guess yeah I guess, well if they if they have any more double headers at the tra- same track right now there's nothing on the calendar is there for any yeah. more double headers at the same track so well in order for that to happen that's what you need but um i'm not against the idea of doing double headers in the future i think it's it's not a terrible idea i do think though like the second austria race it, while it was a good race, I don't think it was as good as the first one. Yeah, I think you need that. You need that one component that changes. I think, don't you? Yeah. You just need I a little bit, a little better. bit of a tweak for that second race. Which hopefully this this change for Silverstone this weekend will show 
the benefit of doing that. Fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah. And uh, my final point, uh, my sorry, my final storyline is it's a it's a probably a boring one that you're all sick of hearing. But can Hulk get that elusive podium that's been <laughs> escaping him from all these years? I'd love to see it. I really want it to happen. I want to see him get a, a solid race weekend in and get him on that track, sort of wheel to wheel with cars. What do you guys think? I'd love to see it. I don't think we will, judging by what happened this weekend. Racing Point didn't look like they could achieve a podium here at Silverstone, but it would be interesting to see how they go with A, the changing compound, and B, actually getting the car on track for a race at least. Because there were times, like we say, that Stroll had it in and, in and around that sort of mixer in, in practice. So mm. it's not completely impossible, but yeah, unlikely, I think, sadly. It's kind of where I sit, yeah. Would love to see, but I don't think it's that likely, yeah. unfortunately. Heart says yes, head so, says no. Yeah, exactly. With all that in mind, shall we do some predictions for the 70th anniversary Grand Prix oh boy. slash British Grand Prix the sequel? Yes. Let's. Oof. Okay, Shall I? St- who shall I start with today? I think I will go. With- I'm going to start with Chris this week. Oh, who no. have you got for fastest in Q3? Um, obviously, Hamilton was the quickest in the last race at the same track, which was just a day ago. <laughs> I just can't. I don't think I can not say Hamilton. It's hard not to, isn't it? I'm Hamilton as well. I know so at I'm some point Hamilton. I need to start doing slightly different things to try and claw some points back, but. I'm also not going to just start throwing points away willy nilly. Yeah, if if you don't, yeah, if you don't predict the same as us, and he does it, then you're just losing points. So exactly, yeah. You gotta, you gotta be strategic. We're thinking like Red Bull strategists now. Exactly, <laughs> Tom. Tom, what's your what's your uh, who's your fastest qualifier? I'm I'm gonna have to go Hamilton. It's Hamilton, you've already said yeah. why it's an obvious choice. Are we triple ham for the win as well? I am. I'm in. I'm in for that. As much as I want to be wrong. Yes. Yeah, this is the thing, right? I do this saying I think I'm going to win because I think that's the most likely outcome for me to earn points. If somebody else wins that race and I lose a point, I'm still happy as Larry. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it's like it comes back to the whole uh, George Russell thing. Like you predict his low, you predict he'll be low for your points, but when he's better than that, you're happy. Yeah, yeah you're pleased. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, what, um, what we okay. need for an exciting season is Hamilton to retire and Bottas to win. But we do desperately need that. Yeah. Um, Can't. Say not that, that we don't want him to win, you know, another championship. But yeah, it'd be nice to see. Yeah, we just want it to be close. It. Yeah. Um, Tom, who have you got for first DNF? Oh. Um, I don't know. I felt I came a little bit close this week. I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna go. Roman Grosjean. Grosjean, another Haas. Mm. Um, Chris, what's yours? That, uh, that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> I know that looks like I'm just copying Tom, but yeah, I mean, so far, I'm... yours and Tom's are the same. <laughs> I mean, two of them you can't blame me for. No, I'm going to stick to my gut and say Grosjean. Grosjean, okay. If we go I'm down, gonna... we'll go down together. <laughs> <laughs> Differentiate myself. I'm going to go. I think Raikkonen's going to have a mare at the next one. I think he, he didn't enjoy himself last time out. And no. I think that's going to affect him next race. Number of finishers. Um, I'll go first. I'm going to go with my trusty 17 finishers. 
I think. Yeah, 17. Um, Chris, who are you going to go? How many did we have? 17. Uh, we had 17. 17 just, yeah. I'm going to yeah. go one better this time. I've had a, a week to practice, so I'll go one better yeah. and say 18. 18. And, uh, and see, Tom? see, if Hulk had started and finished, it would have been 18. It was only 17 yeah. finishes because one of them didn't start. That's true. So yeah. I'm, I'm going to go one happens. better and say 19. There's only going to be <laughs> one DNF. One DNF. Okay, okay. That's a lot of faith you're placing in a, a, a track that the tyres are all going to be melting. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Chris, give me a random driver, please. It is. Dig, dig deep, Chris. Dig, get your hand in there. Oh, Give boy. Oh, boy. Oh, oh, no. Who is it? Is it Grosjean? It's Lewis Hamilton. Oh. Hey. <laughs> I points. mean, one. Just go one across one. the board, man. Yeah, Nobody's hedging their bets, surely. Oh, oh this, no. this is terrible. In, t- in terms of five <laughs> out of five prizes. Yeah, this is going to be an yeah. expensive couple of weeks. <laughs> 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 Oh, this podcast mm. is going to bankrupt us all. Oh, boy. Right. Shall we move on to... Oh, you can submit your predictions at backofthegrid.com. Um, they'll be live by the time you listen to this. Um, so please do that. And um, yeah, let's move on to some inbox. Yes. Uh, Tom, uh, you kick us off? Yeah, I'll kick us off with that. Um, Wesley Paul says, Do you think Ferrari have completely given up on Seb? Could they have pulled resources from him to put them into Charles? I don't well, think. Yeah, of course they could. I mean, they, they could. could. I don't think it is that. To be honest, I think it's. I think it's partly that Seb just feels like an outsider, probably that team at this point. Um, it's partly that that car suits Leclerc a lot more. A lot more. I mean, you know, I, I don't want to discredit the job that Leclerc is doing. He's doing a fantastic job, but there's no way that Leclerc is that much better than Vettel based on the results we had in the last race. Yeah. I think as well, like there's there's got to be an element of his frozen out to a degree because they're not gonna reveal anything sensitive in front of him, are they? Knowing that he he's potentially going could to another anywhere. team. Yeah. yeah like they they don't know where he's gonna go with that information. Yeah. So I think there is a, there's definitely an element of he's been frozen out. Whether they'd completely sabotage him or not, I don't think they would I don't think because they'd sabotage him. Because no, I don't think so it's it's in their best interest to be picking up points as a constructor. It's not they've they've got no advantage in doing that. Yeah, intentionally you know to, to spite your face. Yeah, yeah, exactly. so, yeah. I don't think that's that's what's happening. Uh, next one, Timothy George. Uh, with the teams using different compounds this week versus last week, do you think tire management will continue to be an issue? Uh, tire management's always an issue. Always, yeah. always, always an issue. It's just how it presents itself in the race, I think. And obviously, yeah. it was a very visual way that it did this time because a few of them went pop. If anything, um, I think it maybe won't be as much of an issue because they're going to have to make more pit stops so that no tyre is going to have as much asked of it as the tyres were towards the end mm, of that race. Well, it's a spectrum, isn't it? It is. You, yeah, you can, it's true. It depends how hard you push the tyre. Yeah, it's, it's a fair point. They'll definitely have it in the back of their minds, though. Yeah, it, they'll probably do something with the tire pressures to stop them. Yeah, probably. Because Pirelli yeah, mandate the pressure. Pirelli have done that before, yeah. haven't they? Yeah, Pirelli have made uh, well, adjustments they, tire pressures. They to mandate try and maximum issues. minimums, don't they? I think. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, next one says Tom Thomas Hardesty says if Mercedes didn't have a DAS system. 
how much time do you think would be added to their lap times and did it make a difference with Max not being able to catch Lewis on the final lap? Hmm, I think, go on, well, I don't know. Do you, one of you guys want to take this one? To be honest, I think the only laps it would really make a massive difference to would be the lap or two after a safety car. Yeah, I think I th- that's where you hear them talking about it the yeah. most, as well, isn't it? I think your average racing lap, it probably isn't going to make a huge difference. I mean, it'll make a difference, otherwise it would be on the car, but I think the, the biggest difference definitely would be things like safety car restarts. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, in answer to the... Oh, go on. I was just going to say it's more about the tyre conservation during the 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 slower speed stuff, I think, at the moment. that At least that appears to be where they're, they're using it the most. Um, mm. So, like... Like you say, safety car restarts and stuff are, are a factor. I've, I don't think it would have helped him keep Max behind him on that lap because he only nah. had three wheels for a start. So. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so, in answer to the second, the second to me, the second part of that question is much more interesting. So, did it make a difference with Max not being able to catch Lewis on the final lap? And I think actually, it that the DAS system could be key to why Hamilton's tire didn't sort of disintegrate into a million pieces yeah because if you if you can straighten that tire out if you can straighten that tire out then it's not going to be scrubbing across the track and also your tire that is in contact with the ground rather than sort of trying to pull you off to the it would have been to the right because they're towed out aren't they um if you can straighten that out so it's tracking forward more then it's going to be you're going to have a much more compliant handling car it's not going to be trying to drag you off in one direction or the other so I think it definitely so made it a lot easier for him to get it round round that yeah. lap, isn't it? I think it? he definitely. got around it quicker than he would have without it. Is what yeah. I would say to that. Whether it made a difference to who won the race, I don't know. But I think he would have he would have been slower going around if he'd had full toe out. Yeah, I, c- I can definitely see the logic there. Hundred um, percent. Ali Walker says with Hulkenberg replacing Perez, we can just go on. Uh, if that was to happen in any other teams, what driver do you think would be most likely to come in and race for each team? Oof, Oof. That's a long question, that one. Um Who all right, who'd go in at Mercedes? Uh I don't know who's their reserve at the minute. Do they even have one anymore? Well, their so, reserves are the same ones that technically uh Racing Point had to pick from, which is Van Dorn and Gutierrez. But Van Dorn is busy in Berlin doing the um Formula E last super event. four races super, yeah. and Gutierrez yeah. has actually been out of an F1 car for so long he would need to do a 300 kilometer test I believe to be able to be eligible <laughs> again um, so essentially they have two reserve drivers that <laughs> can't do the are job pretty useless to them yeah hence why that well I mean they always said their first choice was Hawkenberg anyway given that they've worked with him before but yeah even so We're dipping into the F2 paddock yeah <laughs> Promote promote George for a race and get yeah. like Fine Williams a replacement that way or something potentially. Yeah, so, I think it's, it's this is a much bigger question. We need to yeah. sort of we need to give this one a bit of time, I think, and come back to this one in the future because that's um, there's just each team's got so many reserve drivers. Yeah. You Let's save it for an off week. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll save that if one we for another week. One. But if, if you're desperate to know, go on each team's Wikipedia page and you'll be able to see who their reserve drivers are. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's all we're doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Zach Fisher says, with Mercedes being so dominant and Bottas finishing out of the points this week, do you think that this championship is now Lewis's to lose? 
Yes. Yes. One hundred percent. Yeah. A um, million times. Yes. Speaking of Mercedes dominance, I have a wild stat here I saw online that I forgot to mention earlier. Um, it, it'll take a little bit of explaining, but stick with me. So, <laughs> the old bridge layout at Silverstone um, is uh, about thirteen percent shorter than the current track. Mm-hmm. The lap time Mercedes did this weekend, just gone in qualifying, was only six seconds, which is seven percent slower than that. And if they had, if Mercedes had somehow turned up in two thousand and four, <laughs> driven the new version of the circuit that obviously didn't exist yet, while the rest of the grid were doing the old circuit, they would still have made the hundred and seven percent rule. Oh wow! That yeah, is how wildly fast these new cars are. Yeah. Nice fact. Thank you. Good factoid. Great factoid. Uh, Shall I do the next one? Go for it. Yeah. Okay. Hendrik Stumpf says, um, what do you think provoked the punctures in the last lap? Simple degradation or curbs of um, debris? Um, And if you could choose any tire manufacturers to join Pirelli supplying tires, who would it be and why? That's the, those are two really good good questions. I think the first one we've already answered in in the episode, haven't we? It's sort of all of the above, the, isn't it? I think. Yeah, it's a bit of a combination. Yeah. I think. The second one: Who would you have? Um, who would you have supplying tires alongside Pirelli, and why? Um, I've got I one. I've got one go for on. this. Um, I'd go. I'd, I'd go Toyo tires because I like skid racing. <laughs> <laughs> I'd I'd be interested to see Firestone get used a lot in in American sports. Yeah, don't I was about to say that. So it'd be interesting to see someone like that try and make the transition across. That seems to do a good job. Mm. Um, I think the issue we'd have is which team is going to pay them the most to develop compounds for just their car, that's isn't it? That's exactly what I was about to say. The the important point to that is we don't want the tire manufacturer. It is much <laughs> better when you have one manufacturer making all yeah. the tires for all the team yeah. because yeah, you get into some weird territory once you start having a tyre war. Yeah. Um, there's one component that's identical across every car exactly. on the grid. Yeah. And that's the tyre. Every other component is, in theory, completely different from one car to the other. Um, how much you believe that depends <laughs> on how much of a fan of racing point <laughs> you are. But, you know, um, that's what they say. Right, next one. Yeah, uh, last one for this week as well. So Aaron Griffiths, um, I've kind of paraphrased this a little bit so we can fit it in, but Aaron basically says, as an Aussie, I've been uh, decently lucky over the past 20 years to have two great representatives in Ricardo and Weber to support and follow. Unfortunately, the same cannot always be said for the presentation of the racers. The world feed does feel heavily biased with it being run by a British broadcaster and most of the analysis or presenters being British ex-drivers, with the exception of Karun Chandok. Uh, do you think Sky could do more to better represent other countries that view that world feed? I'm actually quite surprised that Australia don't have a dedicated presentation team, to be honest. Like, Australia is a pretty big market for Formula One. I would have expected mm. them to like have their own... I wonder if it depends on how you watch it. Like, for example, he- Possibly, here in the yeah. UK, you could watch that. If, if it was still live, I probably would watch that Channel 4 feed uh, that we have here because that, for example, that's got Mark Webber on it. <laughs> like, he's yeah. a key part of the other, the other broadcast that goes yeah, off here point. in the UK. It's just, it's not presented as the world feed and it's very rarely live anymore. Yeah. Um, and I'm interested to where this, the idea that the world feed being heavily biased 
because it's run by a British broadcaster. The world feed's run by FOM, so it's less the world feed, more the Sky package, isn't it? Yeah, the, I, I must stress the world feed in Aaron's question is caught sort of in inverted quotes kind of thing. It's like it's the world feed because it sounds like that a lot of countries end up getting the Sky feed, the support analysis that comes from Sky. Yeah, like, which it, which admittedly is very so Sky, heavily British. The Sky feed, then. Yeah, it, it's so, heavily British driver based, isn't it? Um, yeah. So so just so just to sort of clarify, like the Sky buy the world feed from FOM and they broadcast that, and then in other countries, other broadcasters will buy Sky's feed off of Sky. So if you're seeing Sky's content, it's because your broadcaster in your country has chosen to buy that feed from sky it's got nothing to do with sort of the world feed and form. yeah like the world feed commentaries sky commentary though isn't it because that's crofty and brundle on yeah. the world feed the the thing the f1 tv one is yeah but i i thought you could change the commentary language on the uh on f1 tv but i don't know if you can but Not sure f1 TV Poten- was... potentially on the official one yeah certainly when you watch any f1 stuff on youtube it's the sky commentators yeah like David Croft and Martin Brundle are employed by Sky TV, but they're also the voices that F1 use for that stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, sadly, though, he answered kind of the original question. It's unfortunately the nature of the beast is that not many TV companies either can afford or think it's worth spending the amount of money it costs to get Formula One. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a lot of that's kind of a hangover from the Bernie Eccleston days, but it's a lot cheaper to buy um, the feed from Sky and stick your own logos at the front and back than it is to have your own studio and presenting team or fly people out to races and stuff. Um, As I say, I am very surprised that Australia don't have that given the size of the audience there. I mean, I know when we look at our like download stats, Australia is always one of the bigger countries for downloads of this podcast. It's sort of a big market for F1, but... um, but yeah, I mean, it would as... be nice to see more of the likes of, and obviously he's on one of the other feeds here. But it would be nice to see Weber or someone more involved in that. It um, would, yeah, in that regular live content and and other drivers similar. Like, um, I don't know, <laughs> it'd be very entertaining to get um, Mister Villeneuve on. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, because he's always very. Rosberg turns up from time to time on the on the yeah coverage, um... doesn't he? Have you seen what Rosberg's been doing on his YouTube channel um, recently? Speaking Not of Nico Rosberg, other than photoshopping himself onto starting, <laughs> <laughs> he's been um, he's basically been doing kind of little race preview things, and he's using the F one game to kind of do like track guides before the race. But that's kind of cool. Yeah, but they're some of the most interesting track guides I've ever watched. Like I watched the one about. Um, the Hungara ring. And he was like explaining things like he'll slowly drive up to a corner and he'll sort of see, you can see there, there's the curb, then there's a strip of concrete and then there's the grass. And to get the optimum launch out of this corner, you need to be getting your front wheel exactly on that strip of concrete because that's where the most grip is. And literally explaining tiny details of track like that. It's actually really fascinating stuff. Way more than you get on kind of your normal, you know, Anthony taught me around the lap at full speed kind of thing. He actually yeah. drives around slowly and points out all these tiny details. They're really interesting. Oh wow. That's I'm that's that's that. one for the the thorough 
enthusiast, I think, isn't it? For yes. like, for the Sounds likes of like us. great content. Sounds like great Although content it does. did make me laugh that after doing all of that, he then will like do a hot lap. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the one he chose to put on this hungry video, the the final corner coming off to start his lap, he ran a bit wide and it comes up the top, lap time invalidated. <laughs> right <laughs> <to the start. laughs> nice, that's funny. Oh, I, think that, I think that's enough, isn't it? I think that'll I do think us. So. We've got to the point where we're talking about Nico Rosberg's YouTube channel, so we've probably... Uh... <laughs> Just usually when the podcast has to come to an end. <laughs> um, I should probably wind us up. It's got... We've been going that long, I've forgotten who yeah. was hosting, but it was my job. Um, so thank you for joining us for this uh, lengthy episode, even though most of it was about three laps. Um, how? How, know, how has right? this happened? As always, if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter at Back of the Grid F1, uh, Facebook and Instagram. Just search Back of the Grid and you'll find us. Um, jumped onto backofthegrid.com where you can sign up to enter the Predictions League for free to be in with a chance of winning next week's prize. And I think that is it. So you can join us in a week's time to review the 70th anniversary Grand Prix. So until then, goodbye. Goodbye. Bye, everyone. Chris, give me a random driver, please. It is. <laughs> oh, oh, it's no. Hamilton, isn't it? Is it Grosjean? <laughs> no, it's, oh, Sergio, it's Hamilton. It's Sergio Perez. That's problematic. Perez. Oh, uh, well, that that surely that defaults to Hulkenberg, does it not? I guess so. Yeah, it's if you've drawn. Well, what, Perez. Uh, hold on a minute. What, what what did you say the rules were for the? Okay, here's what we do. I'm going to put it down as Hulkenberg. Yep. Okay. I'm going to leave Perez in the random driver list so he can still come out at a later date in the season. However, if Perez by some miracle actually takes part in this weekend's race, Perez will take Hulkenberg's place. What about people who have made predictions against Hulkenberg? It being Hulkenberg and not Perez. We would have to void that column. Is it safer that we draw again? I think we draw again. Okay, we'll, do, we'll we'll have a redraw. We'll, we'll have a redraw, but I will draw. I will put Hulkenberg in the pool. Okay. Actually, no, because then he good. might not race. And no, then that, <laughs> yeah, that's part of the problem. Okay, I'm going to re-pick a number and we'll cut all of this out. <laughs> Let's see who it is. Dig, dig deep, Chris. Dig, get your hand in there. Oh Give boy! Oh boy! Oh, oh no! <laughs>